Let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 13 to 18. Um, let me say that uh, the, the notes that I'm using would be made available to you, uh, hopefully before the, the, the morning service. Uh, we'll try to have it all printed for you. Uh, three pages, or rather six pages, excuse me. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18 is the passage that I would like us to open up with. And the Bible says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. <clears throat> verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. <clears throat> um, earlier on, in chapter 3, Verse 13, uh, we read, Holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, if you look at verse 15, it's very clear. For this we declare to you by... proceed those who have fallen asleep. Now there is a word there then that I would like us to get to know uh, this morning regarding the coming of the Lord. And it's that word uh, which is translated coming, both in verse 13 of chapter 3 and uh, verse 15 of chapter 4. Now that word uh, translated Coming uh, is a Greek word, the Greek word parousia. And it can mean presence when used of Christ coming in glory. I don't want you to be so caught up with the Greek word. I'm just mentioning it so that we may know what word has been translated, what we have as coming. Um, so as I said, it can mean presence. But it's more often used to mean advent. That's how the Lord himself uses it. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, verse 27. Uh, perhaps you could go there very quickly. Matthew 24 is a passage that we need to consider more and more. Uh, verse 3. <clears throat> Verse 
So the disciples then came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? That's the word. And of the close of the age. <clears throat> if you look at uh, verse 27, it's there again. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man. And that same word is in Second Thessalonians 2.8. <clears throat> and then the lawless one will be revealed when the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now that verse has a lot of words that we need to know. But that word parousia is there. Again, it's in 2 Peter 3, 4. Now, the idea communicated by this word is that this is a public event. This is not a private event. This is not a private coming. Um, that word was used to describe the visit of a ruler with all the pomp and show. You know, the other day we were going to Chwele on, uh, on Saturday last week. Chwele is not so far away from Uganda. So we met with this convoy uh, of vehicles, all with uh, Ugandan registration with military and all those guys and quite some pomp there, there was no way we could mistake that here is a very important dignitary from Uganda in Kenya. So when a ruler uh, came into a city with, with all his entourage, with pomp and show and festivity, all that atmosphere that surrounded that kind of a visit is, what you, is where you would have used this kind of a word, this word to be specific. So it's a reference to, uh, often to a party of civic dignitaries uh, involving sometimes the world population where they would go out to meet the ruler as he would, as he approached the city. It was a day of festival, of the coming of the ruler. So that's what we we're talking about. That's a kind of a mental image that you have as we talk about this word, parousia. And every time it's used in the New Testament, uh, with reference to Christ, it is used in the singular with a definite article there. So it is the only one. It is not the appearing or the presence or the coming in multiplicity. It's just one single event with all the significance that comes with the important appearing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the New Testament parousia essentially is a technical term for the eschatological coming of Christ in glory.
So please have that mental image whenever we use that, whenever you read that word translated coming in your Bibles about the coming of Christ. And the Greek word it's there provided. Now there are many verses in scripture that uses this word. And uh, the verses have been projected for you. Uh, the, the, there's Matthew 23, 24, verse 3. We've already read that in verse 27, and verse 37, verse 39. All those passages there that we've read point up to the fact that the coming of Christ would be a once event, very public, and we'll see all that comes uh, with the second coming of Christ shortly. So that's a word to remember, Paruhusia. And then uh, the second word to know is Apocalypsis or Epiphania. Uh, those are words that you also need to know. I've also given you the, the verses that describe the coming of Christ with the Greek word <clears throat> um, ekomai or ekomai, which means to come instead of the noun parousia. And then there are other terms. And uh, when we talk about apocalypsis, it means revelation. That's why we have we call the book of Revelation what we do. But if you look at the Greek, the very opening verse one calls it the Apocalypsis of John. Um, and uh, and then the other word epiphania is it means manifestation. And those two words emphasize the the visible character. <clears throat> Of the coming of Christ. It is a revelation. It is a manifestation. It's visible. Uh, it's the appearing, which means it's going to be uh, showcased. So Paul speaks of Christ as um, his being revealed when he, talk, when he talks about his second coming. Uh, or appearing, like in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. This description, like the equivalent word for appearing, epiphania, uh, which is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it does repeat a theme, which we've already noticed in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24. And one of the purposes of Christ's coming will be to reveal what is now hidden. Uh, it is to make clear-cut what is now obscure. It is to demonstrate the glory of Christ in contrast to the incognito element in his, first, uh, in his first coming. So, uh, those are words that you need to bear in mind as we carry on with these studies. Uh, there are other words that talk about his return, uh, like there in Luke 12, verse 36, Luke 19, verse 12 and 15. Uh, 
But the use of these words do not in any way point to the possibility of having more than one return of Christ because of that definite article there. It is the thing. And then it is also in singular, never in plural. And uh, it's also public. Okay, so that does discount the so-called secret rapture. It doesn't give room. The understanding of those words does not give room for anything that is obscure. Because the very thing that is happening is that Christ is being manifested, is being uh, is revealing himself and ushering in something completely uh, open and public. So this is a single event, I repeat. The advent of Christ is the culmination event that will mark the close of his age and usher in the one we anticipate, the one that we hope for. This therefore gives no room for no other event in between this life and uh, the one to come, or this age and the age to come. A close scrutiny will point out that the parousia mentioned in 2 Peter 3, 4, like us to read that passage, is the same as that uh, already referenced in, with regard to the advent of Christ. You know that uh, 2 Peter 3, Peter is dealing with, people, with scoffers who are doubting the second appearing of Christ. So if you look at verse 4, 2 Peter 3, People are scoffing. Uh, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So this is one age. From the beginning of creation, all the way, waiting for the manifestation of Christ, for the revelation of Christ, for the appearing of Christ, the coming of Christ, is all one age. It's not two ages. That's what Peter is saying there. And he is saying that this age that runs all the way from creation is, is the same. And, and so people are saying, nothing has really changed ever since creation. It's the same. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, one can say, but that's a quotation from scoffers. How can we take it seriously? Now, you notice that Peter does not have a problem with that understanding. Because he, got, he goes on to say that they, over, they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and drew water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that then existed was delighted with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. So that, you know that the Bible does compare the coming of Christ with, uh, with the day of Noah, when everyone was just going about their, their business. 
buying and selling, marrying and getting married, and so forth. Then, boom, the judgment was pronounced and destruction came. But again, we see that that order continued until there will be the ultimate punishment. So the, the day of Noah is just a type pointing forward to the ultimate um, uh, judgment or the return of Christ. Let's, let's very quickly look at um, a brief description of Christ's second coming so that you don't get bogged down by these terms. Uh, a brief description of Christ's second coming. As I said earlier, uh, the notes would be made available uh, unabridged, unabbreviated. You can go read them for yourself and engage further. But the point is, um, a study of those words will show that this is a single event, public event, as we'll see shortly in the description. Now, Jesus Christ promised to return bodily on earth. Uh, and, and that time he will come for his people in Lord. He said, Matthew 24, verse 27 and 37. We've already read that passage, but let me repeat it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And again he says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 37. Uh, Jesus will suddenly appear, he will suddenly return for his people. And those verses point out that it will be public, you know, the lightning strikes, and anyone who is within visible sight of it, will see it. And, uh, you know, the lightning is very public, visible as well. It comes from the east and shines as far as the west. That is compared to the sun, to the coming of the Son of Man. And, uh, and then it will be sudden. You remember that the, the people who lived and godly people who lived in Noah's day, they were just going about their business. But then there was sudden destruction. It's both public and sudden, as lightning and as the days of Noah. Now, this is the great hope of all Christians. And is what is the, uh, described by Titus, or rather by Paul to Titus, as the blessed hope in Titus 2.13. So Jesus himself said that he will return. And his apostle did, did write and, and told the church and continued to tell the church that Jesus will return. But also there is a testimony of the angels. You remember at the ascension in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, uh, Jesus is with the disciples and then, you know, all of a sudden he ascends. And uh, they keep looking as he goes up the heavens. And this is what the angels, there were two angels who looked like men, uh, told the disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. This same Jesus, this same Jesus, 
who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come in the same way. That's a verb form of the word parousia. So Christ, uh, Christ will thus come in the same way as he ascended. He would be visible. It would be bodily. It is this same Jesus. And it's very interesting that the angels use his name Jesus, which uh, would be a reference, as it were, to his other. Uh, is, is, is body or is humanity. I'll keep it because I don't want people distracted. Thank you. So, the idea is you're going to have it. Okay? So it's bodily, it's visible, and then it's public because, you know, they, they, they would, they would uh, all see him. Now, this then is clear that Christ will return, and he will return boldly and visibly and publicly. Let me point out a number of things to just make this uh, very concise. First of all, his return will be physical and personal. When he rose from the dead, he lived on earth for 40 days when he was visibly seen and would be touched as he didn't tell Thomas to touch him. And when he ascended, the angels reassured the disciples that this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way, in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It means that it will be the same person with, with those personal glorious qualities, but personal. Uh, that he would be seen by people. He would not be a ghost that cannot be seen or touched. And Paul told this, the Thessalonian church that the Lord himself, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a command. First Thessalonians 4.16, we read that. So this event must not be confused with Christ coming into life of a, of a person at conversion, because there are people who teach that the second coming of Christ is when you get converted and Jesus lives in you. You, you, you will find the most strange teachings on the subject. So this is not Christ indwelling believers, please. You know, there is, there's a, a world professor called Professor Buckley who teaches that in his book, The Plain Man Looks at the Apostles. And uh, as he says, no, this would be a physical, personal coming or appearing. Then secondly, Christ will return in glory. He will not come in humility or he will not be humiliated uh, as it was in his first coming. The Bible clearly teaches that Christ's coming will be with his angels in glory. It's describing the King of Kings appearing. And if you look at Matthew 16, verse 27, it's very clear. He will 
come with the glory of his angels. And uh, let's just read that very quickly so that you can see what I'm saying. 16 verse 27. For well, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Uh, he will come in the clouds of heaven, Mark 16, verse 42. He will come with a shout of an archangel. Uh, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, uh, with the sound of the trumpet with the heavenly host in full divine splendor. So this then does fit with that description or that understanding of the word parousia as we saw, you know, when, when uh, the South African president, Cyril Ramaphosa, came, he came with his bodyguards and his entourage for the burial of our former president, Moikibake. So that, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. When we talk about glory, we're not talking about a private thing. This is all very public with all the glory of heaven accompanying him, with all the angels shouting and singing and blowing trumpets and all that. It's all glorious. And we all sing about the, the sight being glorious. Then thirdly, his coming will be unexpected. And this is where secret rapture people are very confused because they hear unexpected, or rather they, 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 they hear that the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and that sounds to them secrecy. But surely the coming of thieves is not necessarily very secret, is it? Growing up, I remember uh, the the the... The gangsters would send, would circulate uh, um, posters and say that we will be coming on such and such a day, and that will drain terror in our village. Then they will strike at night. And that, that would not have been very secret, would it be? Sometimes then they come and they are being at the door, and you can hear that those are definitely thieves. Someone was telling me how. Uh, he lived in some, some parts of um, uh, Waiyakiwe, and uh, there were seven men with machetes and uh, axes, and they were trying to open his jaw. And, and eventually, they were scared out of their wits, and they gave away their phones through the window. They were, they were not able to access the, the, the door access their house through the door. Eventually they left. But the point is, that wasn't very private, was it? It wasn't very secret. Uh, when we read that, in, like in 2 Peter 3.10 and following, that he will come uh, like the thief at night. Uh, look at verse 10. Uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Listen to this. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. Oh, that's not very secret, is it? If there's going to be a roar, it's not very secret. And then the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So when the Bible talks about coming like a thief, it's, it's, it's about the suddenness, the fact that it's unexpected. And so we are exhorted and urged by the word of God to be, to be watchful and alert throughout, for we do not know the hour when he will come. Now again, very strange teachings. Mr. Harold Campings would, would say, uh, from Matthew 24 verse 42, that, uh, do, do you know that man? Harold Camping, he died not so long ago. And he had many, many predictions. In fact, when I was preaching through Second Peter, uh, he had just predicted that there would be his second coming that October. I think it was in 20, was it 2010 or something like that. 2013, I can't remember. But he just died a few years ago. And uh, uh, Pastor Joe Jakovich used to work with him until he began all these constant predictions. Uh, and uh, so he would say, well, the Bible says very clearly that we cannot predict the day or the hour, but we can know the week, we can know the month and the year. It's really not the understanding of the text, is it? Um, the, the, we need to be watchful, alert, because we do not know when it is unexpected. It is while people are buying and selling, uh, giving their daughters in marriage, getting married. That's when the least expected. In fact, I remember while I preached that day, I said, very disappointing because now I know the day that the Lord will not return. Because having been predicted by a man, clearly it wasn't going to be that day. Since no one knows it. So, in this case, then, the Lord will come unexpectedly to encourage our faithfulness, to encourage our watchfulness and our alertness. That's what is needed of us. And so the parable of the, of the faithful servants in Matthew 25 uh, is encouragement, that attitude. And then fourthly, his coming will be as sudden as the striking of lightning from the east to the west. The Lord said there in Matthew 24, verse 37. It's, it's sudden. It's more than expected and sudden. So, if the comparison is with the lightning, then it will be visible. Yes, people will see and shudder as his glory is appearing. And then fifthly, his coming will be public and audible. Every eye, the Bible says, will see him. Even those who pierced him will see him. And all the nations, how many nations? All the nations will weep on his account. That's what John says in, in, in 
in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Every eye, all the nations, meaning it is a universal event. There will be a cry of command. First Thessalonians 4.16 again. With the voice or the shout of the most exalted angel. And then there will be the sound. The, 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 there will be a, the, the, the blast of the trumpet of God. Don't expect that uh, the trumpet of God will be like the trumpet of man. Clearly, the coming of Christ will not be private, will not be secret. He will come publicly so that everyone may see and everyone may be judged. All the nations will stand before him and uh, they will see him. And then sixthly, his coming will be on a normal day. When people are carrying on with their daily routine, it will be while you are at your office. Or perhaps in a matatu. Is while you are bargaining and telling the seller bad, bad, says the buyer. So when you are bargaining for a better sale, remember the Lord will come on a normal day. It may be drizzling. Thankfully, it would be snowing here. We thank God for that. It will be a normal day. You know, some people will be enjoying their favorite drink. Very normal day. He will come in a manner that the Bible describes or compares with the birth punks. Those ladies who have had the privilege of uh, giving birth, you know, everything seems normal. And, uh, and then one day, the birth punks strike. Whether you are psychologically prepared by the nine months, I'm not sure. And then finally, it will be a day of judgment. It will come in judgment. The Bible recounts that it will come to judge both the living and the dead. And think about that. That's the second Thessalonians 1, uh, 1 5, by the way. It will come to judge both the living and the dead. What does that tell you then? That that day of Christ's coming will also be the day of judgment. And if it's a day of judgment of both the 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 living and the dead, then it's going to be the day of resurrection. He will punish those who have not believed in his name and he will reward those who have trusted in him for their salvation. So this will mark the consummation of his kingdom because then the heavens will pass away and the earth shall be burnt up. Uh, then there will be the new heavens and, the, and a new earth. Second Peter 3, 10 and following. 
And at this time, therefore, the dead shall rise and the living shall be caught up with the Lord in the clouds. So we've looked at, at a brief description of Christ's second coming. Now we will go into the details. What is the eschatological significance of Christ's second coming? Now the specific time when this age will come to an end and then the age to come will be fully consummated and I want to highly recommend um, some Waldron's book Actually, it's two books on the subject. Uh, Ed Times, Made Simple, the first book. And then the second book is More of the Ed Times Made Simple. Now, in those two books, the way he approaches the subject is that he does not go to what would be regarded as eschatological text to begin with. goes to very normal texts. And he labors to show that there are only two ages that the Bible recognizes. The, what is described as this age and then the age to come. And I also need to point out that all orthodox theologians agree that the scripture explicitly tells us that the line of demarcation between the two ages is Christ's second coming, the parousia, accompanied by a number of things. Uh, first of all, his coming would come with the final judgment, uh, or rather let's begin with the resurrection and then the, the, the final judgment. And then there would be the unveiling of the new heavens and the new earth. Those are the three major events happening all at once in that great day. Um, so when the Bible talks about the last day is the equivalent to the end of the age. In other words, the last day of this age is the day of Christ's second coming. And it is the first day of the age to come. That's the threshold. The last day of this age is the day of Christ's second coming. And the first day of the age to come is the same day. And so we look forward to that day. That's why there's so much anticipation and expectation. And even this is the, uh, the unveiling of our blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus Christ, for which we look, for which we wait. And it brings to, to a close the present age and inspires believers to be self-controlled in this present age, to be upright and godly in the present age. According to Titus 2, verse 12 to 13. And, and, and the author of Hebrews says something very similar in Hebrews 9, 28. He says, So Christ 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You note that Christ having been offered once, he will appear. How many times? He will appear a second time. And you may not know why I'm, I'm keeping on repeating the singularity of this day. But there are people who teach that Christ Jesus will come. He will not touch the ground. He will be mid-air and then people will join up with him, take them, take them someplace for a thousand years. Then after hanging with them for a thousand years, while there is all the difficulties and tribulation on earth, then he'll come back and... Uh, that would be the time of judgment. That would be the time of resurrection. That would be the time of the new earth and new heavens. And the Bible does not teach that. That verse is saying he will appear a second time. He will not appear second times. He will appear a second time. And not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, to save us. This is a definite salvation that we await. So let's then note the following things regarding the second coming of Christ. First of all, the second coming of Christ is a definite event. Now, I say these things generally, and then I repeat them because I want you to get hold of them. The second coming of Christ is a definite event event. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. This is a very, uh, very, it's not necessarily a passage teaching eschatology. This is Peter simply speaking, verse 19. Uh, we have been telling you that eschatology is everywhere. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So clearly, this is a very, very definite event out of what Peter is saying here. So there was a time, a definite time, when he was received into heaven. And there is a time being waited for, the time of restoring all things. If you look at James chapter 5, verse 8, we read, You also be patient, establish your, uh, your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, it is the coming, very, very definite. And I've already pointed out to you, Second Peter 3, 10. But then turn with me to Revelation 22, verse 20. 
Again, I want to see you how definite it is. This is talking about uh, uh, specifically Jesus' second coming. Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Those verses all speak about the second coming of Christ as a definite event that will occur in the future and not simply a spiritual event that is ongoing now or a secret event that not, some people would only know about it or a definite event that occurred sometime in the past. This is a definite event that we anticipate, that we look forward to. I repeat, Christ's return will be personal, physical, visible, public, audible, triumphant, and glorious on a definite time. And you realize that Peter in Acts 3 says that the prophets of old spoke about his day. And you wonder, when did they speak about it? Yes, they did. They spoke about it as the day of the Lord. It's a day of the Lord or the day of Christ. Um, the Old Testament prophets spoke of the day of the Lord, which figuratively came as the day of judgment when the foreign countries would occupy uh, and exile them. The day when Jesus Christ uh, would judge everyone. But if you look at the New Testament orders, that phrase no longer refers to temporal judgments on the nation of Israel's enemies. Instead, it refers to the great eschatological climax of this age, the day of condemnation of the ungodly, but the day of salvation and vindication for those who are in Christ. And the Old Testament examples are instructive because the day of the Lord typically meant judgment involving the, the concurrent destruction of the wicked and salvation of the righteous. Like if you look at Isaiah 13 verse 1, Isaiah 14, verse 23, Joel, basically the world book of Joel, Amos 5.18, and uh, going all the way to chapter 9, verse, verse 15 in Amos. Then Obadiah 1, uh, 15 to 17. Obadiah 15 and 17 to 17. Then Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7 through chapter 3, verse 20, and that pattern indicates that the eschatological day of the Lord likewise will be a general judgment involving all people, both the wicked and the righteous. The day of the Lord is sometimes called the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, or more simply, the day. The Bible just calls it the day, or that day. In the New Testament, that day is a well-defined eschatological denotation to designate the day of the Lord. It identifies as the that day, meaning the last day. 
And so the Lord does talk about it. He says, in that day, many will come to me and they will say, Lord, Lord, in Matthew 7, 22. And then he will tell them, I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. It's there also in Luke 10, 12, even Luke 21, verse 31, rather verse 34. So there is much to show that the expression, the day or that day, has taken on a distinctively technical term referring to the last day. Okay? That day is equated with the last day in a number of passages. Uh, Romans 13, 12. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. Hebrews 10, 23. 2 Peter 1, 19. It's called sometimes the day of judgment, uh, as in Matthew 10, 15, and many other passages. And... Uh, there are passages that express the day of the Lord or the day of Christ or his day or that day pointing out to the, uh, to the last day of judgment. But the point is, is that it's a definite time. Now, I've given you all the verses in the handout. Don't worry about it. Because then secondly, I want to point out to you that it's not only a definite event, but Christ's second coming includes definite events. It is, it is itself a definite event with specific things that will take place. And what are those? There is a resurrection of the dead. There is a judgment of both the weakened and the righteous. And then there is a renewal of heaven and earth. Let's look at those. And I'm not going to exhaust these because next week we will begin talking about each of them. Okay, so the second coming ushers in and entails a complex of events. From the standpoint of corporate eschatology, whereby we're talking about everything as opposed to individual eschatology like resurrection and uh, uh, individual judgment. So, uh, when you talk about, you know, the entire eschatological events, uh, parousia, if you like, um, the resurrection and the judgment applies to all, including human beings and all the universe. And it's both Christians and non-Christians. Uh, it is to creation itself. Because as you know, creation itself is, is uh, groaning, as Paul writes in Romans 8, awaiting its redemption, awaiting that great day too. It would be uh, the day of the purging of evil from the universe and the renewal of creation by the institution of the new heaven and the new earth, as Revelation 21 uh, verse 1 says. So the, the, the three overtowering final events in the drama of eschatology is resurrection, uh, judgment, and then the renewal of the universe. 
So before we go to the specific events, then are there questions? Because as I said, that last bait, which where we are dealing with the actual events, we'll deal with the three of them one by one in these coming weeks. Yes, there is a question. And as I said, I do have these adults. Uh, and for any who is uh, perhaps online and you're wondering how may you get hold of it, just send us your email and we will make sure that you get hold of the PDF. A question on creation. YouTube. Or YouTube, okay. Yes, from, from Derek Mwangi. Uh -huh. He quotes Matthew 16, 28, which says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so the question is kindly elaborate on what Christ was referring to when he said these words. Um, if you look at the context, you will notice that uh, he is referring to the transfiguration. Um, so as soon as the Lord does say that uh, there are some studying here who will notice death until they see they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, uh, the transfiguration comes. And that's the that's the way the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are written. Uh, because you see, the transfiguration was a fortist of the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds, in, the, in his glory. But the actual, the, the people who would not taste, I mean, who, who would not taste death until they see, uh, is a reference to the three who went up the Mount of Transfiguration. Thank you, Derek, for your question. Okay. You mentioned concerning the age, this age and the age to come, uh -huh. and you said that the, the the last day of this age will be the day of when Christ comes back, and that will be the first day of uh, the age to come. Right. And so I just had a question concerning what Paul says in First Corinthians, ten. Yes. Eleven, which says. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Kindly elaborate. Right. Uh -huh. I don't think I got your question. Um, elaborate what that means when Paul says on whom the end of ages has come. Okay. Because he's speaking at a time that... Yeah, you remember the very introductory lesson I began with, I pointed out to you that we are living in the last days. Uh, and the last days then is a reference to that period between Christ's second, uh, first coming and his second coming. So uh, that's what that verse is talking about. Not the actual last day uh, as 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 um, some would want to have it. Have I understood your question? Yes. 
started. Yes, go ahead, Pastor. Thanks, thanks a lot for your emphasis on the singularity of the Lord's return. I just, as I was sitting here, I was thinking about the mistake or, or the problems that arise out of the misconception of two returns, and two seem to come to my mind. One is that if I hold on to a true return of the Lord, because there are many uh, brothers and sisters whom we love who will hold on to it, there are three uh, problems that could come out of that misconception. One is a growing number of Christians who are not prepared for the possibility of a time when they could be persecuted. Uh, the, the belief that we will, we will not go through the tribulation. A day is not going to come when I may need to seal my own testimony with my own blood in terms of, of, of suffering to the death. But First Thessalonians 4.15, which you read, clearly shows that the church will be here at the return of the Lord. We who are alive, who remain, will, will not precede those who are dead. So, so I think that that is one potential problem. People avoid being salt and light because they, they are not anyway expected to suffer. I think a second one is a gospel of non-repentance. If the rapture occurs and I'm left behind, I can predict. I just count seven years and repent the night before the seventh year. And uh, I won't miss glory. And uh, scriptures are clear. No one knows the day or the hour. So I would need to contend. Or the period. Or the period. I would need to contend with, with, with that if I'm going to make a case for after the rapture, there is seven years, then the Lord comes back. So those who have remained can live like they want, and then a few days to, to that, they can repent. But I think a third one is the robbing of Christ of his glory. Because his return is glorious. He's not hiding as he's coming for the church. Yeah. I, would, I would also just suggest a book by... Sam Waldron, it's called MacArthur's Millennial Manifesto, A Friendly Response. Yeah, it almost feels like I should uh, perhaps in the future uh, take up uh, a few classes and deal with dispensationalism because so many of you have imbibed it, uh, you don't even realize it, and uh, it's so toxic. Um, but anyway, for the purpose of, of this class, I, didn't, I did not deliberately take up uh, the subject of uh, dispositional views. But uh, we perhaps may touch on it when we deal with uh, major millennial views, uh, which would be the ninth lesson. Perhaps we may, we may open a, a box that will mean that we actually go and, and deal with Makada himself. Anyway, another question? Yes, Tito? Oh, sorry. I'll go ahead, give him, and then bring the mic this way. Thank you, James. You talked about the Testament prophets prophesying about the coming of Messiah. Maybe you can make it clear. Did they speak of Christ coming two times? 
like first coming and the second coming because it seems like it was not clear to them uh, this age we are living it was not made clear to the prophets the the, the one we call church age are you asking why you stating you can give us further clarification on the same okay um yeah of course some of the prophets saw it as just one day the last day uh, as coming as covering the period between Christ's first coming and uh Christ's the second coming but then as you read further you would see that um uh, and I don't have the time to do that you can look at the text that I've provided in the handout uh, it could perhaps help you work out if you still have a question after reading it uh, you may get back to me uh, i think we just don't have the time to delve into the actual text and uh, you know separate the ones that point to this one event and, and others but but yes uh, there are a number of prophetic texts that would bring them all to bring it all together that the first coming of christ and, and the second coming of christ uh, is seen as one day yeah. Mine was probably similar to Derek's. Uh, the Matthew 24, which talks about the coming of Christ. Yeah. Then the goes ahead to state in verse 34 that truly I say to you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place yeah does that mean like uh, it's describing the, the the coming of Christ where you even reference to it uh, the one verse 30 then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then comes to see that this generation will pass away and yeah. all these things. Right. Um, yeah, if you look at uh, the question that the disciples asked in verse 3, and in fact, I'd hoped that last week we would have dealt with this text in detail, but we didn't quite do that. But the question asked by the disciples is, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So it's a question that has uh, a number of things. There is the question of when will these things be, what will be the sign of your coming, and what will be the close of age? So the Lord, in answering the question, he gives them all the information all at once. He does not separate between what would would happen, um, you know, what would happen uh, at the second coming and what would happen at uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. Because he does, uh, you know, the context is them looking at the temple and saying, oh, what a magnificent glorious temple this is. Then he says, no stone will be left upon the other. 
And that then is a reference to the destruction of uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And in a sense, that's, uh, that's an indication of uh, how the, uh, the, the judgment will be like. But then he also does mix that with, uh, with his second coming. So some of the things are with reference to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and other things actually do point out eventually or ultimately to the, to the coming of the, of the Lord. Now, preterists, and especially hyper-preterists, remember we considered those in the first lesson, the guys who say that with the 70 AD, all the prophecies about the second coming of Christ were fulfilled, and Jesus Christ returned, and really we're not looking forward to anything else. But surely we don't see that when you read the rest of the scriptures, even though that verse may appear to teach that. Just that overlap between the destruction of the temple and the final judgment. Because you see, you realize that with the destruction of the temple, there was, uh, there was a judgment that was pronounced upon the, uh, upon the, the, upon the Jews. Uh, with the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, there was that judgment that, that had been pronounced to that nation. Yes, Jenny. Again, there would be, I think I might consider getting that ad out uh, for Matthew 24 with the signs uh, so that uh, we don't have that confusion. Further question? Then that would be the last question. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for after the, the, the revelation being the passage, the passages. Um, so one of the passages which also Pastor has alluded to, the one that the church will, will still be around. Um, uh huh. Will still be around, yes. Actually, the next three verses, from verse 16 to verse 18, they, they actually describe how, how the event will be. Um, so I am seeking a clarification from what you said earlier. You explicitly say that, uh, uh, if I got you right, that um, there will be no meeting Christ today, somewhere suspended, I, I believe that somehow what you said. Uh, I'm seeking to understand verse 17. Okay. Uh, which is, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, actually... Uh, would you finish the statement, please? And so? And so, we will always be with the Lord. Right. So, that part of the air. So okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me just say this. We'll be talking about resurrection uh, this coming week. Uh, I think it's only fair that we wait for that day. Uh, no, for, not for that day, but for... <laughs> yes, we are waiting for that day, of course. But then I'm also requesting that we talk about resurrection along with that verse because they are related. I'm just resisting from... You see, 
the coming of the Lord will be um, so many things. As I said, it's a complex of things all happening at once. And uh, uh, all I sought to do today is tell you that the Lord will return. I wanted to show you how definite that is. It's a singular event. But then there are specific events associated with the day. We have not gone that far yet. The material covers bits of it, not in the sense of describing exactly what would happen, but in saying that these texts teach that Jesus Christ will, on that day, um, ensure that there is resurrection, both of the, of the dead uh, and the living, both of believers and non-believers, and judgment. And then... Two, that there would be the final judgment, and then there would be the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? So if you could just hold your horses for a, for a week, then uh, we'll get back there. Right? Okay, so please, if you could be helped to distribute that after we pray. Shall we? We thank you, our Father and our God, for your grace to us. Thank you that uh, we can consider these things. And uh, uh, profit from your word and learn what you teach us. Help us to look forward to that day when Jesus Christ will, will come. Uh, give us the yearning, the longing for that day when we shall be forever with you. So uh, bless us this day. Uh, help us to continue to feed from your word. We pray and ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, there is a real man with wounds still gaping wide. From which rich streams of blood was ran in hands and feet and sight. Tis no wild fancy of our brains, no metaphor we see. The same dear man in heaven now reigns that suffered for our sin. This wondrous man of whom we tell is true almighty God. He brought our souls from death and hell the Christ is all as blood. That human heart he still retains, though thrown in highest lead, and feels each tempted member stains from our Come then, repenting sinner, come, approach with humble faith.
blood condemns, the black soul, and wash our guilt away. He will present a sound and whole in the 